Hey everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow and I'm flying solo today to plug some great foreign films from 2021. So last night, last night, I went and saw The Worst Person in the World in the theater. This is the new Norwegian film from director Joachim Trier and... Okay... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so this movie premiered at Cannes, at the Cannes Film Festival in July, where it won Best Actress, and it has already been seen and widely praised in France, Norway, Sweden, and it recently received Oscar nominations for Best International Feature Film, that's what that category is officially called now, and Best Original Screenplay. It was recently released in America, and wow. This was as good as I hoped it would be. Better. All the hype is worth it, and it is my second favorite film of 2021. Right behind Licorice Pizza, I don't think anything could ever dethrone that, but, you know, we wanted to get our favorite movies of 2021, we wanted to get that episode up in a timely fashion, and this happens occasionally. A foreign film gets boosted by Oscar nominations, or it just takes a little while to get released in America. And now America, American audiences are going as crazy for this movie as audiences abroad have been for months. And Jesus, what a film. I mean, I'm not going to reveal too much because that's no fun. And, (laughs) but I genuinely knew from the opening title cards, which were reminiscent of Kubrick and Bergman, I knew that Trier had something really unique to say with this movie. It was one of those things where I started shaking my head and laughing and going, oh my god, I'm going to like this movie, and I'm going to like it a lot, aren't I? And I did. Right from its first shot, which is an absolute doozy. It's stunning. I don't, I'm not going to describe the whole thing, but it places the film's star, Renata Reinsve, in the center of the frame and hooks you right in. So I'll talk a little bit about what it's about, but I do want people to experience this movie for themselves, if possible. And while I'm at it, I figured I'd do quick reviews on the four other films nominated for Best International Feature Film this year for the Oscars. That is Drive My Car, Flee, The Hand of God, and Lunana, A Yak in the Classroom, which I did watch. More on that later. But first, let's get to The Worst Person in the World. Christ, what a title. This is a movie about a young woman, Julie, played by Reinsve, trying to figure it all out. The movie begins with her as a med student in Oslo, but it certainly does not end that way. And Julia is, she's, you know, she's trying to figure herself out. What does she want to do? Who does she want to love? Where does she want to go? And what if she makes a concrete decision that she's happy with, but changes her mind a few weeks later? What of that? What of that in her life? And how does that affect the lives of the people around her? So basically, we're watching a person for two hours and 10 minutes be a person. And it's really funny and it's really compelling, and it's oddly romantic at times, but the best things about this movie are the way that Trier has structured it. You will not be bored. 
It moves very well, and the way it's set up, it's almost engaging. It's almost fun. But the real great treasure of this film is Renata Reinsve, who is so damn good in the movie. It's like, <laughs> at times I thought I was watching a documentary because I don't know her. I know that I've heard these stories about how she had decided to quit acting. It's done. I'm throwing it in. I'm going to go live my life. And the next day, Trier called her and was like, hey, you want to do this movie? And it's... <laughs> It's this game-changing, I mean, life-changing role, and she completely inhabits it and embodies it. Her eyes are so captivating. Every facial expression, it's a really pure, natural performance that I fell in love with, and I imagine that's one of the big allures of this movie and why it got those Oscar nominations is because... This performance is so incredibly captivating. It's why she won Best Actress at Cannes. I mean, the entire movie rests on her, and she carries it so well. This is right up there with the best performance I saw in 2021. Just period. It's, oh my god. The title of the movie isn't exactly accurate. It's, it's a great one, but what I, that is what I loved about the movie. Julie is a flawed person who doesn't have every phase of her life planned out. It's just a good movie. Again, right up there with my <laughs> favorite film of 2021. I just love when one you did not see coming at all comes in and completely blows you away. And and I'm telling you, the structure of it is a lot of fun. It goes in order. It's not confusing at all, but it has a lot of fun with the passage of time, which I'm always very interested in. The worst person in the world, absolutely deserving of its Oscar nominations. I don't think it'll win Best Original Screenplay. That's, <laughs> that's the category Nick is so hell-bent on thinking Don't Look Up will win. I think they're going to lob that one to Kenneth Branagh for Belfast. I would vote for PTA for Licorice Pizza, of course, but we shall see. And although I would vote for the worst person in the world for Best International Feature Film, I don't think it's going to win. I actually think that's going to go to Japan's entry, Drive My Car, which picked up some other major nominations, including picture and director for Usuke Hamaguchi. Drive My Car. I'm pleasantly surprised by the praise this movie has received in America. It is a three-hour-long, deliberately-paced, emotionally complex Japanese film about a man working through his grief. The film relies heavily on Chekhov's Uncle Vanya and Mirakami's short story, Drive My Car. I got really into Mirakami in college. I took a course where we really only talked about his short story collection, The Elephant Vanishes. And he's an author I'll find my way back to every few years. He has these amazing short stories that make you, well, they really make you think. I mean, like this movie, this is a very introspective, emotive piece you kind of have to melt into his patient world. During the film, we spend most of our time with a theater director who has recently experienced something tragic, but also kind of confusing. And he's using a new job directing a play in Hiroshima to meditate on this event and as life as a whole. And again, it's about a person trying to figure it all out. My friend Mark described Drive My Car as having a beautifully refreshing patience and commitment to building character. What a perfect way to describe this movie. Definitely a character piece, definitely a very slow movie, but I, you know, 
If you're looking for a good, slow, meditative piece on life, here's Drive My Car. I mean, I'm genuinely, I genuinely didn't know people were looking for a movie like this, and its Oscar nominations were really surprising, but hopefully those nominations motivate more people to see it. It's in a few theaters right now. Go check it out if it's your vibe. That's kind of the fun of these nominations, because even if I think this category is essentially a drive my car versus the worst person in the world race, the very fact that movies are nominated for Oscars will motivate people to go and watch them, or at least it will motivate me to go and watch them. <laughs> and now it's easier than ever, because take Flea, for example. This is, this is incredible. Flea is from Denmark, and it's directed by Jonas Rasmussen, and this is the first movie to ever be nominated for Best International Feature Film, Best Documentary Feature, and Best Animated Feature. That is crazy. With all those noms, I had to watch this, and it's on Hulu right now. It's so easy to check out, and it's only like 90 minutes long. Flea, despite being animated, is very adult material. It's really sad, honestly, for a number of different reasons. This movie animates the life story of a man named Amin, who has been forced to keep much of his past a secret in fear of violent reprisal. I was like, I think this movie is animated largely to help conceal the subject's identities so nothing bad happens to them. We never see Amin's face, we just see an animated rendering of it. And in the film, Amin accounts how his family had to flee Afghanistan when he was a child. They made it to Moscow, but they found the living conditions really unsuitable and a bit inhumane for them. So the family made attempts to flee Moscow to Denmark. And there's, there's way more to this movie than that backstory. Rasmussen interviews Amin throughout the film and... And we get the sense through those interviews that these two actually went to high school together. And as such, Amin feels, it's like he feels more comfortable letting Rasmussen into his current life. And I don't want to describe too much of that because it's something that I wasn't aware of. Even reading like that, you know, two sentence description on Hulu or IMDb. And there's just, there's a lot going on here. And watching this movie, you kind of feel like you made a friend in Amin, you know? He's a great subject for a documentary. He's vulnerable, but not too eager. He's restrained, but still open. And the idea to animate the film does seem almost necessary. And I, I think it's, I don't know, I think it's more of an engaging way to tell this story than, say, like doing on-camera real-life interviews with a men, but like, blurring his face out or darkening his face so you can't see it that hacky thing but again flea is on hulu right now very very easy to find the easiest film to find of all these nominees however it's got to be the hand of god only because it is currently on netflix this is italy's entry for this award directed by paolo sorrentino who I would say he's probably best known in America for his HBO shows The Young Pope and The New Pope. His feature films have definitely received some crossover here. Actually, his movie The Great Beauty from 2013 won the Best Foreign Language Film Oscar. That's what they called the category back then. I don't know. I don't make this stuff up. I just talk about it. 
I remember a lot of people were pissed about that award because it beat The Hunt from Denmark, Thomas Vinterberg's The Hunt with Mads Milkson. Jesus Christ. Go watch that movie. Fun for the whole family, that one. But Hand of God, you know, it's interesting. Like, I'm sitting here talking about all these. All five of these movies share things in common. They're all about young or young-ish, in the case of Drive My Car, like a young-ish person trying to figure it out. Maybe they're trying to figure it all out or figure out one aspect of their life. Like, some of these movies are a bit more expansive and definitely cover a wider time frame. But the lead characters in all five of these movies are being depicted as coming of age, no matter what age they are at. In The Hand of God, we spend some time with a large family in 1980s Naples, and we're seeing a lot of this lately. Directors placing themselves in their version of a coming-of-age film like Belfast, Roma, even Licorice Pizza to a degree. These all contain young characters that are composites for the film's director during a specific period in the director's life. And The Hand of God is certainly no different. This is a good movie. I didn't love it. I can't lie to you all. It doesn't, it doesn't have a plot, but that's by design. For the first hour, it's really only concerned with showing us all the zany members of this family. You know, they're, they're crass, they're oversexed or undersexed. They're obsessed with football, soccer. You know, there's the one lunatic aunt who's mean all the time and curses at everyone and sits in the back of the room. She's always wearing a big fur coat. She's great. I definitely got Fellini vibes here. He's referenced directly in the movie. It's almost like a more serious, somewhat less accomplished Armacord, Fellini's film, which Nick and I reference in our now infamous favorite films of 1973 episode. Asshole. I will admit, I had a little trouble latching onto the hand of God in the beginning. I was getting a bit distracted and all that stuff that comes with watching a movie at home on Netflix. But then, like halfway through, almost exactly halfway through, something happens that makes the film much more interesting and the final hour flies by and you see why Sorrentino took his time with that first hour because... You care more in the end if you spend the time getting to know the people in the beginning. You know, every year, there's at least one nominee in this category that has that quote-unquote, that weird title. It's that movie very few people, if anyone, has heard of. Fewer people have seen it. And it's the type of movie that gets ignored by audiences. And that's a shame because Lunana, A Yak in the Classroom, is a really, really fine film. I absolutely love this. I never heard of it. I don't know anyone who's involved in the making of it or anyone who is featured in it, but it's a simple, sweet, incredibly thought-provoking and moving story about a young teacher trying to figure it out. <laughs> Lunana, A Yak in the Classroom is written, produced, and directed by Paolo Dorji. It's his first feature. It's from Bhutan, which is a kingdom in the Himalayas between India and China, and in my research, it seems that the intention of this film is to, of course, tell a compelling story, which it does, but also to promote Bhutan's philosophy as a country, which is one of gross national happiness. Gross national happiness. I mean, to an American, 
a government mandate of gross national happiness sounds like an April Fool's prank, but that's kind of the joy in watching this movie is that you get to see the positivity and the warmth and the belief in the human spirit and in human connection. It's all here in this movie, and that's really a joy to watch. And I'll be completely honest with you, I had every judgment against this movie going into it. I almost resented having to pay the $4.99 to rent it on YouTube, but watching it was yet another reason to always give small films a chance. And I'm so glad I watched this. I probably would never have known about it if it wasn't nominated for the Oscar, and it absolutely deserves to be. It's a movie about a young man in Bhutan who's required to teach for five years. We meet him as he's entering his last year of teaching, and he is not into it. He has other dreams and ambitions, but this is his final year, and because he's so unmotivated, his supervisor just hauls off and sends him to the most remote school in the world, in this tiny village of Lunana. It takes him forever to get there. He has to take this long bus ride, and then he has to go on this days-long hike uphill, up steep terrain with guys from the village. And he is not happy when he arrives, and he doesn't want to teach at all. But by virtue of him simply being there in this tiny village, the kids are so ecstatic at the prospect of learning, at learning something, anything. What basically what this movie is about is a man comes to appreciate his own value and his own worth based on the kindness and the interest of strangers. I have no idea how many people are going to see this movie. I don't know if it'll ever become available on a free streaming service. I hope it does. And I admit that the title's a little clunky. It does all make sense in context, but I was tremendously moved by this film. They shot it in Lunana, mostly using actors who had never seen a camera before, let alone an entire movie. It's genuine, authentic, and subtly kind of profound. All right, that's it for me. I hope this encourages some of you to go check out some of these movies. Right now, I do think Drive My Car will win this. Okay, if I was ranking them, I'd go five, The Hand of God, four, Flea, three, Lunana, A Yak in the Classroom, two, Drive My Car, one, The Worst Person in the World. I love that film. Oh my God. Snubs. Oh, okay. Yes, this gives me a chance to clear something up as well. I did get something wrong in our 2022 Oscar nominations breakdown episode. I said I was shocked that Pedro Almodovar's Parallel Mothers wasn't nominated, and I have since learned that's because it was not Spain's entry for the award. <laughs> Countries can only enter one film, and they entered The Good Boss, starring Javier Bardem. I've never even heard of that. So that's why Parallel Mothers did not get in. That's a great movie, though. I've been on an Almodovar kick since then. Parallel Mothers is great. And all of its other Oscar nominations, including Penelope Cruz, very well deserved. I suppose, snubs, snubs. I suppose there are two big snubs here. There, <laughs> France's Titane, which did win the Cannes Palme d'Or in July and then almost made me puke in a movie theater a few months later. Jesus Christ, I can't, I cannot believe this movie is available on Hulu right now. It is absolutely insane. I didn't really think the Academy would nominate it. It would have been really something if they did, but alas, they didn't. 
And more shocking, I know I just talked about this in our latest episode, but a hero from Ashgar Fahadi. That director has won this category twice before, so maybe it was Oscar burnout or something. I don't know. That movie is still on Amazon Prime, and it is absolutely worth your time. All these movies are worth it. Give foreign films a chance. That's it for me. Thanks, as always, everyone, for listening, and happy watching. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostel.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. Send us mailbag questions at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com and we'll answer those on the show. Or find us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. Next time, we're going to introduce a new monthly segment all having to do with the Criterion Collection. Fun stuff. Nerdy stuff, but fun stuff. Stay tuned. <laughs>